33 minutes past the hour, Texas Standard Time. I'm David Brown. Great to have you with us on this Monday. Last week this time, a piece of news broke that would have seemed impossible a century ago. Sears, one of America's most dominant retailers, filed for Chapter 11 bankruptcy thanks to declining revenue and massive debt. The Sears Roebuck catalog, once upon a time, was a staple of American coffee tables. There wasn't much you couldn't get from it, including something that may well survive Sears itself, one's very own home. Michael Marks reports. There are certain items you expect to find in a mail-order catalog. Sewing machines, for example, or watches or bath towels. You don't expect to find a house. But that didn't stop Richard Warren Sears and Alva Roebuck, co-founders of the Sears Roebuck Company. Dear Mr. Sears and Roebuck, I've been sitting here a-thumbing through your book. The only reason that Sears got into this was he knew it was a way to sell more of the stuff in his 100,000-item, 1,400-page catalog. He actually would put dotted lines within the floor plan shown in the catalog and say, space for Davenport, space for phonograph. That's Rosemary Thornton. She's an expert in Sears kit houses. Sears sold them from 1908 to 1940. They were called kit houses because they came with all the lumber and hardware you'd need to assemble them, plus instructions on how to put it all together like a giant Lego set. Each year's catalog offered dozens of different models, all the way from the Natoma, a simple three-room model for $191, to the Magnolia. I think it was $5,849, had 2,900 square feet, four bedrooms, two and a half baths, plus servants' quarters. To find out if your home is a Sears kit, the best way these days is to consult one of the many websites and Facebook groups devoted to them. It's unknown exactly how many kits were sold or how many are still standing. There's no official list. The Midwest is a real hotbed for them, but Thornton's found a handful in Texas, and there are surely many more that remain undiscovered, so to speak. Kit homes are like roaches. If you find two, you know there's another 20 hiding somewhere. The main benefit was price. They weren't cheap, per se, but certainly less expensive than a pre-built home. And remember, this is the early 20th century, If you were someone who might have trouble buying a house through conventional means, a kit home was a viable alternative. Overwhelmingly, it was single women, men and women of color, and immigrants fresh to the country. Lenders would look at demographics in a neighborhood. If you were a certain type, you were not going to get a mortgage, period. But it didn't last. The business started losing money in the 30s, and indoor plumbing and electricity made home building more complicated. By 1940, Sears was out of the kit house business. But Thornton thinks that most of the Sears homes that were built are still around. The reason is a cliche, but it's one that applies here. They just don't make them like they used to. The quality of building materials in Sears homes far surpasses most of the stuff even of the day, and certainly the things that are built today. That quality is evident in Will and Patty Moore's kit house in Georgetown, just north of Austin. They live in an Avondale model built in 1914. It's a green, one-story bungalow with a shady porch next to a big bay window out front. They originally bought it with the intent to flip it, but the house grew on them as they fixed it up. They decided to move in instead. In our vernacular, the word kit denotes, you know, not very, well, not very solid thing or, you know, something was a kit. And that can't be applied to Sears kit homes. 
When you step inside, the house has a wide open feel to it, with windows everywhere and the living room and dining room separated by dark wood columns. It's gone through some changes over the years, like many interior coats of paint, wall-to-wall shag carpeting, and the addition of another bathroom and a laundry room. But the Moors have made sure that from the curb, it looks like it did back in 1914. They even got the seal of approval from some of the home's former tenants. There was a guy born in the house, in that front room. And in 2006, when we bought the house, he was still alive. And he came to visit us. It was... You know, it was pretty emotional for him. We were sitting at the table over there, and then we did walk through. But his sister came and kind of, she kind of gave her blessing. And there are little signs of the house's history all over. Once, when Will was doing some work on the back of the house, he had to pull some siding off of an outside wall. When we took the siding off, we found two signatures from 1914. And we determined that they were probably the people that built the house. After they found those signatures, Patty decided to make her mark, too. On the wood behind the sheetrock in the laundry room, she wrote her name and said that this is where she did her ironing. For them, it's nice to think about the future owners who might find it. We are the current caregivers is, is what it amounts to. The house is the mainstay. We're just transients, you know. <laughs> so Patty's signature will sit on a tight, dense board milled over a century ago, just waiting to be found. It may even be there long after Sears itself. For the Texas Standard, I'm Michael Marks.